congratulate you since you became oh, champ. Thank oh you. my god. Thank you. And knowing everything you've been through, I'm seriously so inspired. It's been a journey. It's been a journey. It's crazy. I literally just think about this little girl. It's been my dream. And now. I know. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Hey, any chance you got to watch my match earlier? Oh, what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, with Gloria Glitter. Oh my god, she's new to WoW, but she is seriously the toughest opponent I've gone against so far. But I got in there and I was just like, let's go! I laid it all on the line, you know how we do. And uh, I trust your instincts though, so even though I got the W, I'd like to know if there's anything I can improve on. So sorry, Crush. Oh, it's been so busy winning the belt and all. I didn't get a chance to watch. I really have to actually go right now. Is it okay if we catch up later? Okay, okay. yeah. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Crush. Love you! Did Candy Crush just get blown off by Aussie? Wow. You know, and we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. And this match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship! Hello, good people out there, and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Green. And we have episode 56, or 204, if you're talking second season of WOW, Women of Wrestling. And the title, The Deal is Off. This is what they have sent, or that's what they labeled it this week. So uh, this is supposed to be in reference to uh, Lana and and Sophia Lopez's deal that they had going to arrange a championship match. At the, Lana, not Lana, Sophia Lopez just cannot cut a break with those things. Like anytime, anytime she has even thought about a championship match, they just go immediately into loss. So, but we'll get to that. So. Let's start off with what the show began with. It's got its normal opening thing, or I should say its new opening thing, which is uh, very nice. I don't know if they got some new editors or not, but I've always praised the editors on this show. I think they have done a lot to try and keep the integrity of the show together. Even if other things work against them, the editors that put this thing together do a lot to make this look as good as humanly possible and they deserve absolute credit bravo to them and you know that's not to take anything away from the roster the roster has been good even with the people who do not have an extensive wrestling background the most recent of course being Katrina Jinx which I found I think she's a stunt woman and actress and voice actress so I am not expecting, you know, great matches out of her necessarily. She might she might get there and she might be a natural. I mean, she she seemed to do fine in the match that she appeared in in the debut match, even though she lost, but you know, that's Wow's way. Speaking of which, we'll get to that a little bit later on. So let's start up with the show, shall we? First match and segment. 
Last Call, which has now been officially the titled name of the team of Raina Del Rey and Wrecking Ball. <clears throat> First thing I noticed with the team of uh, Last Call is that they have begun to match a little better now. So I'm assuming that this teamwork thing is is in and there to stay for them right now. Uh, so whatever route that Rana Del Rey might have had going or challenging for the world's title of the wild championship, I should say, <clears throat> they don't seem to be focusing on that right now. Nor does she seem at this point to have anything to do with her former rival the beast although the beast has just come back so you know time will tell maybe they'll get there maybe they won't i just don't see it with them seemingly dedicating time towards um the team of last call uh they look good together i i I can't take that away from them i mean i used to give them a hard time admittedly saying that you know this is the wasteland with reina del rey uh playing the role of max the impaler but it still works. This, this still works. This still is a uh, power team in the WoW universe. Even though it's another one of those teams that we get close, but close, but no cigar. Except for all the ones that they can run over at any given time, like the one that they're going up against in this particular match. And that would be... I guess they don't even have a name. David McClain kind of refers to them as the new millennials or, you know, a new millennial team with Jennifer Gen Z Flores and Steffi Slays. Now, Steffi Slays has been at this company for a while, and I'm going to deviate from the match just a second so I can talk about her. The reason I'm going to deviate just a second to talk about her is somewhere in here, Stephen Dickey made the comment that uh, she's a veteran. Stevie Slays is a veteran. Uh, I like Slays, but she falls into a category that a lot of trainers have. What wound up happening with a lot of people that come into wrestling, sometimes they're not just fresh out of the, you know, uh, off of the street. Sometimes they're people who are already in the business and they just want to come back, right? So I found when I was at that wrestling school, there's two questions that Robert Gibson seemed to ask. He wanted to know, do you have any wrestling experience? You know, that that was just a normal thing. The response for, you know, if you're just getting in and know, I never tried this before, I never did it, and that's fine. No, no shame in that, of course. You gotta learn somewhere. The other question would be for the people who answered yes i do have experience i've been doing this for 10 years then his immediate response and i stood there and watched this happen okay (laughs) his immediate answer or question following that okay well how many matches have you had and in this particular instance the you know the guy hesitates and he said he had like about six or seven so It was some ridiculously low number of matches that he had, despite the fact that he just told him that he had been wrestling for close to 10 years. That is what I point at with Steffi Slays. It is hard to put her as a veteran 
for the same reasons that when people came to schools like that, because he isn't the only person that did it. When people come to schools like that and they say, yeah, man, I've been wrestling for eight years. How many matches have you had? Well, I've had four. But then you haven't been wrestling for eight years. You've wrestled a week. It was a week spread out over a couple of years time, but you've wrestled a week. That cannot equate to a veteran. In a normal sense of the word, a veteran would be somebody who's done this for a long period of time. And she has. Granted, I will give Steffi Slays that. I won't take that away from her. She, she has wrestled for a long period of time. She has not wrestled a lot. So I thought it would be a fun exercise since we are you know, doing this show. Since I'm doing this show. <laughs> to look at Steffi Slays' record. Okay? So just, just bear with me and then we'll get back to the um, review. And you tell me whether she is a veteran to the business or not. Steffi Slays debuted in 2013. And I know for some people that's going to be hard to believe. But yes, she debuted in wrestling specifically WOW in 2013. Now, bear in mind the, the record that I'm about to give you does not account for the two or three times where WOW took a match to an event. They went to WrestleCade. Uh, they went to oh no no that, I'm sorry they didn't went to, they provided a match for a uh, MMA show Steffi Slays and Keita Rush I'm not including that I'm only including the matches that she had for the company with the company on the company's television alright and besides since it was only like two matches that she had outside of that it's not, it's not important Okay, so keep that in mind. <clears throat> so, yes, she started in 2013 when Wild tried their initial revival. She wrestled two matches that entire year. Two matches the entire year. The Bully Busters versus Cage Heat and the Bully Busters versus Tropical Storm, and they lost them both. But I'm sure... It would get better, right? So let's go to the next time. Didn't get back into the ring until what? Close to three years later, 2016. Steffi Slays versus Abilene Maverick. Steffi Slays versus Keita Rush. Two matches. In the entirety of 2016. Lost them both, by the way. So we move on again. Because, like I said, it's got to get better. Has to get better, right? 2018, two years after that. Back in the ring again. Four matches this time. So there's an improvement of some description. She wrestled the Beast. She wrestled Jesse Jones. She wrestled Nikki Krampus. Where did she go? And she wrestled the Disciplinarian. Of those four, she won one, and I can say you could probably guess which one that she was victorious in. For those who said the disciplinarian, you are correct. 
she lost to the Beast. She lost to Jesse Jones. She lost to Nikki Krampus. But she beat the disciplinarian because if there's anybody that has a worse record in WoW, it's probably her. Next, so it's 2018, four matches. Four for the entire year. Now, I'm going to stop before I continue on to just say this. I've known wrestlers who do that in a week. In a weekend, really. Because I knew one of them that was double shotting. She hit one show early, then she'd run off and do the next one. In a weekend, she covered four matches. This is four matches in 2018 for Steffi Slays. All right? So we'll keep going. 2019. She has four matches. Another four matches for the entire year. Holiday Ed and Siren versus the Bully Busters. Lost. Aveline Maverick versus Steffi Slays. No winner. The Monsters of Madness versus the Bully Busters. Lost. Steffi Slays against Aveline Maverick. She wins that one. So she got in four years' time, she got two victories over the course of, what, uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven, over 12 matches over four years. That's all of 2019. Now, in fairness, it gets better. It does get better. Now, <sighs> that is... There's a caveat to the 2019 run because there are matches that were recorded in 2019 but didn't air until 2022. So for the benefit of this, I'm just going to go ahead and include all of these into 2019. So that would probably be the most amount of matches that she's had in any given year in her career. So if you add the ones that didn't air until several years later, then you have her at, um, let's see, what is it? she got six, seven, eight, ten, ten matches. She had ten matches all of 2019. Ten. That's like a match a month or less than. So for the ones that aired in 2019, I mean, that were recorded in 2019 but didn't air until 2022, maybe her best year, actually, or maybe her best showing on television, Bully Busters versus Exile, that was a win. Steffi Slays versus Malaya Hosaka, who seemed to have vanished, that, that was a win. Steffi Slays versus Temptress, who has also vanished, that was a win. Callie Ray and Steffi Slays versus Exile, also a win. Callie Ray disappeared, but it was a win. Steffi Slays versus Adriana Gambino, a win. And. She lost once to Chainsaw. Six matches. That aired in 2022. Recorded in 2019, though. So we'll, we'll, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt to say she did 10 matches the entirety of that year. That's a big gap that we have here also. So, I mean, either way this goes, it doesn't play out very well. But there's a huge gap there. Like I said, these matches recorded in 2019. She didn't get back in the ring again until 2022. 
2022. Was that three years? We'll just go ahead and say two because it's at the beginning of the year. We'll 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 cut it down. We'll say two and we'll split the difference. Say two and a half. That's still a long time. Not to do anything. Meanwhile, you have people out here that wrestle every weekend that they can possibly do it. I mean, and I've witnessed that with my own eyes. If you have looked at any talent that's on the indies, they're out there hustling. They're trying their best. They're trying to get the the attention, the exposure, get the experience. And they wrestle constantly. Brooklyn Creed, who has been featured on my channel, she doesn't have a TV deal. She's, she hasn't been broadcast on national television or what have you, you know. But she's wrestled 10 matches in half of this time. And I'm just talking about the year. I'm not talking about uh, from 2013 to 2022 like Stevie Slays. She's wrestled 10 matches in less time, probably in three, three months or less. Steffi is not a wrestler. She's a wild superhero. And it's not a knock on her for that, but the idea that she's a veteran is absurd. I will continue. 2022. Steffi Slays has seven matches in 2022. This is getting more current as far as what we're watching. But she has tw- seven matches under her belt. Monsters of Madness, version two, against the Bully Busters, loss. Heavy Metal Sisters versus Keita Rush, Steffi Slays, Vivian Rivera, loss. Monsters of Mad- Madness, version two, versus Steffi Slays and Vivian Rivera, loss. Steffi Slays versus Adriana Gambino, she wins. Adriana Gambino, Gigi Gianni versus the Bully Busters, loss. Vicky Lynn McCoy versus Steffi Slays, loss. Steffi Slays versus BK Rhythm, she wins. Seven matches in all of 2022 because she didn't take any bookings elsewhere. 2023, we are current. And as of now, as of this recording, she is nine matches in. Impressive. I mean, we're at the end of the year, but it's impressive. Jennifer Flores and Steffi Slayers versus Rodriguez and Gigi Gianni, they win. Las Banditas versus Flores and Steffi Slayers, loss. Steffi Slayers versus Amber, Amber Rodriguez, she wins. Amber Rodriguez and Gigi Gianni versus Jennifer Flores and Steffi Slayers, loss. Chainsaw versus Steffi Slayers, loss. Last Call versus Jennifer Flores and Steffi Slayers, loss. Las, Las Banditas versus Jennifer Flores and Steffi Slayers, loss. Exile and Ice Cold versus Jennifer Flores, Keita Rush, Steffi Slayers, loss. Last Call versus Jennifer Flores and Steffi Slayers, loss. Which is a spoiler, but I mean, by this point, you shouldn't be surprised. She's had 34 matches over 10 years. Do the math. 34 matches. Over 10 years. Experienced in the uh, in the world that she's in, yes. But veteran, I, I cannot 
bring myself to say that. I know he has to say it because you've got to put them over. He has to say what Wow needs him to say to make their stars look like exactly that, to make them look like stars. But 34 matches over 10 years averages out to about three matches a year. A little bit, you know, just a little bit over that, but it averages about three. Just imagine that. Three matches a year. The only people that do that now that you are aware of are people who've earned it. People can get on Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns for being part-time workers and only working when it's necessary, but they've done this for a while. They've done this for a long time, and they've been on the road forever. And they have earned the chance and the time to be able to be like, nope, I'm just call me when you need me. She ain't there yet. I'm not saying that she's you know, not gonna, but that's going to be entirely dependent on what she wants out of this. If WoW is the pinnacle of everything that she's looking for in a pro wrestling world, then she's already hit the top of her mountain. I don't get the impression that she is looking to be like, oh, man, you know, I really like to go to Impact Wrestling. Or I really like to wrestle for the NWA or MLW or try to get to Ring of Honor or AEW or maybe even the WWE. She does not strike me as that person. You barely hear her talk. She doesn't cut a promo. She does see serviceable in the ring, but she doesn't do this enough for anybody to possibly, outside of WoW at least, she doesn't do this enough to possibly be looked at as some sort of veteran. She just doesn't, and that's not a, a shot at her. It's just the truth. The math, the numbers don't lie. The numbers do not lie. And anybody that wants to go and, and back check all this, feel free. Those things are out there for you to find. I took the time to do the research on it, but those things are out there for you to find. 34 matches over 10 years. You're probably up to 35 now, so what is it? 3.5 matches a year? Three and a half? That's ridiculous to think that anybody that does that would be a veteran at anything. Take any other sport in the world and apply that logic to it and see how far you get. They'd laugh at you. I mean, I, I know wrestlers that have covered 34 matches in six months. It didn't take them 10 years to get there. But again, you know, she's one of the wild girls who only wants to be a wild girl. She has no desire to do this beyond being at WoW. Or at least, at least, that is the impression that is applied when you look at her. And everybody else that is, that is an in-house talent to WoW. People who came to WoW are a different issue. Some of them get kind of caught up in it and be like, I don't want to work for anybody else other than WoW from now on out. That's, that's been said. I know Abilene Maverick said it. I know Jesse Jones has said it. Fury seems to be in that direction because I really don't see or hear about her on the independence anymore. And she was all over the independence at one point. She's another one who put in a lot of time, a lot of effort, did a lot of matches in a short span of time. But yeah, the, it doesn't show that she has any drive to be a wrestler. She has the drive to be a wow superhero. Nothing wrong with that, but that's just you know how it is. 
But that's why I led off with that example. That when and anybody that's listening to this that's been at a wrestling school or proper wrestling school at least has probably heard that. People that walk in there like, well, how many, how many, uh, how long have you been wrestling? Well, I've been doing it for X amount of years. Well, how many, how many matches have you had? Well, I, I've only wrestled three times. But then you haven't been doing this for five or six years like you claim. You did this for a day or two. <laughs> you know, you did this for a day or two. You kept the boots, you kept the tights, and you didn't bother doing it again, and now you're trying to get back in it. So let's just, you have to be taught from scratch. But don't try to make it sound like you, you know, I've been doing this forever. No, you haven't. It's, the numbers say that you did this for a year. And that's where she is. The numbers say that her experience level is like a year. She's still a rookie. See, chronologically, she's been in this for a long time. Number-wise and match-wise, she's a rookie. And I'll stand on that. She can contact me if she wants. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, well, show me something different. I, that, that's a debate I will take. I'll take that with her. <laughs> or anybody else in WoW for that matter. Because it's ridiculous. I would take that debate with Stephen Diggins. Like, this is absurd that you would get on, on national television and call that girl a, a veteran. A veteran of what? Anyway, <laughs> so, so we'll, we'll move on from there. Uh, last call looks, you know, looks more like a team now. Like I said, if one thing that they did do here is that they've changed the look, and, and they did that across the board. Like most of the people that have come back to WoW have had an upgrade to their outfit to some degree. Right, wrong, better, you know, good, bad, better, or worse. They they've had an upgrade to their outfits, and in this case, I I like it. I, I like it a lot. Stevie Slays and Jennifer Flores already looked like a team. I hated that they did not go further with the Bully Buster thing. They been Slays and Keita Rush. Um, I think Keita had more aspirations to do that singularly because the Bully Buster thing is her thing. You know, I, I know I brought it up before. I'll, I'll say it again for people who don't know. She, she has a uh, self-defense and a class in a gym and I think it's labeled the bully busters so that's her thing I, but I, I, I thought it would be nice to see a good story and a good angle with the bully busters I mean it pretty much writes itself and they never got a chance to do it they never got a chance to do it I mean how easy is you know to have these two girls who are by and large smaller than a good chunk of them on the roster, putting up the fight of their life to try to get to a championship match. And, they, and this is one of the cases that they wouldn't even have to win it. Sometimes you can get a lot out of a loss just with the effort. And I thought that that story was just there for the taking. It was on a silver platter, and they just never did anything with it. So <clears throat> we've got Flores and Slays. Who look just as good as a team. They just don't have any sort of team name, and they honestly don't look like they're ever going to make any strides as a team, if I'm being completely honest, because they seem to have been positioned as the make-the-other-team-look-good duo. And they do a fine job of that. They do make the other teams look good. They, I mean, 
when I say somebody has losses on there, it's not to be, you know, to disparage their work or something like that because somebody has to do it. Somebody has to take the loss. Somebody's got to be the one to put them over. Somebody's got to be the one to make the other persons look good. Now, if your aspirations are to be something bigger, then you probably don't want to be the one that's in there taking loss after loss after loss after loss. But I do not get the impression that she wants to be anything bigger other than I am on TV and I'm on WoW and I'm a WoW superhero and people can see me. So we'll just move on because the magic of itself is, is, is really just a, uh, a showcase for last call. That's pretty much what this is for. There's some nice moments that Slays and Flores have within the match. But ultimately, this is a match to benefit Last Call. It is, for lack of a better term, is like a reintroduction of them as to who they are and what they're about. And what I mean by that is if you look at the match, and you probably go back and look at it, there's, I'm going to give you a time code, okay? So... If you're looking at this match on YouTube, Wrecking Ball is the one that starts off with Flores. At about three minutes in, I'm going to say, matter of fact, let me pull it up right now. Okay. So at 3.15, three minutes and 15 seconds into this match, there's a pinfall attempt. And the story there is like you can look at Wrecking Ball's face and this is being taken exceptionally lightly. She's laughing at the fact that this woman tried to pin her. Then she gets a double elbow from Flores and Slays. Slays goes for a cover. She kicks out and then the look on her face like, hmm, I can't believe it. Almost two. You know, like I'm not annoyed yet, but I'm in. I'm loosely impressed that they are actually trying to fight. And so, so it's uh, it's a uh, no sell. <laughs> it is is almost like it's almost like a complete no sell. You know, and I get that they're you know they're they're pushing last call as a you know rowdy fighting team. You know that. I was going to say akin to the Road Warriors, but that's kind of a you know an old reference. But you get the point. So anyway, <clears throat> they came up with a better finisher for Last Call. I'm so happy about that because the other one that they had, it, it, on paper it sounds good. It just visually didn't work where they where um, Reyes would put her partner on her shoulders and kind of slam her down onto their opponent. It just... It just didn't seem to look good in that regard. Uh, so one of the one of the other things since I have you on here that I want you to take a look at is how smooth Raina Del Rey is. There's a point in the match where she <clears throat> excuse me, there's a point in the match where she has Stevie Slays down. This is about four minutes and forty seconds in. And she takes her finger and puts it in her her own mouth as if to like, I'm going to stick my finger in her mouth with my spit and whatnot. But she switches the finger 
<clears throat> really quick and fish hooks her with the middle finger opposed to the one, the pointer finger that she put in her own mouth. But if you're not paying attention to that, you wouldn't notice. That's why I said she was, she was very smooth and very quick. She, she got the, the opposing finger in there as she fixed fish hooks her. But, you know, and again, all of that's aside from the point. The, the real story here is that they are there to brutalize their competition. And this is a means to show that they can run through opponents and just beat them up and beat them up easy. And this was a, this was a squash. This was a, this was a squash. It was a glorified squash, but it was a squash. At the end of the match, <clears throat> we've got Slade. She struggles. She gets the tag. Flores comes in. She does her deal, tries to overcome the odds, which we all know that she's not going to do and she can't do. So at the end of this, when uh, not I was going to say slays, but I didn't mean slays. When Flores is slammed down out of the electric chair, she slammed down face first. Then Reyna Del Rey charges across the ring and gives a kick to Steffi Slays, who's kneeling there on the apron, which pushes her out to the floor. She hits her head on the on the uh, barricade on the outside. And now we know that the, the end is nigh because a wrecking ball picks up Flores very high. And they do like the version of the, the heart attack that the heart foundation used to do. One of them holds them in a bear hug position, and the other one comes across with a clothesline. Although this one was more akin to like a hybrid of the heart attack slash doomsday device. Wrecking ball is the setup. She holds her up, ran it array, charges the cross, gives her the clothesline, boom, one, two, three. So they pin Flores, and we've got a potentially new team that is thrown into the mix. Uh, the next thing is the recap of the Beast versus Chainsaw, which we said in the last episode, Beast defeated Chainsaw uh, pretty handily. <clears throat> this sets up the segment where they're like, Chainsaw is mad and, you know, that she's lost and she was out of control for it. That, that is the entirety of the segment. And I like that they added a time frame to this because that was something that they did not do before. Everything was kind of listed as we're live and coming up next. And I went backstage and I, you know, it, it was always done in present tense here. And it makes it make all the more sense here. They expressly say this took place last week after the match, because if they came in with this, implying that Chainsaw held on to this anger for a week about this loss and came in and just wrecking up stuff. So like, no, that's that's a little hard. But saying that this happened directly after she got beaten, yeah. The only problem I have with that story is that Chainsaw's already lost. She already lost twice. I I said then when they beat her, it's like she shouldn't be losing because the loss should mean something. And it didn't. It didn't mean anything when she lost the first time. It didn't mean anything that she lost the second time. It didn't mean anything that she lost the third or fourth. 
see his loss. I mean, the third and fourth losses are self-imposed losses where she refused to let go. So there's disqualifications. And those can be acceptable, at least in her mind, because she could have won if she wanted to, right? But she was pinned by Candy Crush. Her, I forget what they called it, but it's a superwoman punch. She hit her with the punch and knocked her out and pinned her. Then she lost to Tiki Chamorro. Granted, it was the entire island dynasty that did that, but you know, it was a loss is a loss. She didn't lose her mind over those things. And that would have been the perfect opportunity for Angelica Dante to explain why those things didn't mean anything. Yeah, Candy Crush got it, but look what it took for her to do it. She had to pull every art thing out of her arsenal and she got lucky. That's all there was to her. She got lucky. And, you know, that's what you say. Somebody asked her about the loss with uh, Tika Chamorro. They say, well, she should be upset about that. Angelica Dante should have been, no, upset. Why would I be upset? Did you see the match? You clearly weren't watching the same match that I was looking at. Tika Chamorro didn't beat Chainsaw. The Island Dynasty beat Chainsaw. It took three of them to beat my sister. And so we're in the record books that might say something that about she lost, but in the reality... It is a win. The reality of it is, is that Chainsaw had to be held down by three individuals just for them to hold it for three seconds. What one person could actually take her? All that did was just prove my point. Chainsaw cannot be stopped. Perfect promo, perfect opportunity for a promo. Wasted. Wasted. So anyway, this is a natural progression of the loss of the beast. I just wish that Chainsaw had a better win. I mean, she had a good, she has a good win record. I just wish that she didn't have those inconsequential losses along the way. So that when the beast beat her, it would have meant something. It would have been a bigger deal. It would have been a great way to bring the beast right back into the fold. And you knew that it was going to cross paths eventually. So she comes into this clearly staged dressing room, angry. And the first thing she does is she grabs a vase off of a <laughs> off of a makeup table and smashes it. And then she leaves all of that and then goes to the, the uh, setup prop table and, and cleans it off with a, with a mighty swipe. Just left to right. Wham. All the crap that's on it. That, that'll show everybody how strong and out of control I am. <laughs> and then she sees Foxy Fierce, who is... <laughs> who's acting terrified in the corner, right? As if to be like, please don't hurt me. <laughs> so Chainsaw goes over to it, grabs her by the throat, double goozles, and then this is it's already bad, but I, the situation was good. The execution, I'm iffy on. So she takes Fox Fierce by the throat. And because WoW is so self-indulgent, they have all their own posters. Every step that you take 
in the backstage, and which isn't bad necessarily, but I just do not understand why every mirror has to have two different pictures of wild wrestlers. I'm like, well, who are we advertising this to? Why would you have it here of all places? And why on the mirror? <laughs> like the mirror needs to be used. Why are you sticking these things here? Other than we have to prop it up so everybody knows they're watching WoW. So, yeah, back to the point. Double Goozle, she takes her to this poster of WoW and throws her through this thing to a clearly set up wall. This is the most out of place wall I've ever seen in my life. This is absolutely fake. And they make it worse. <laughs> they make it worse by having the camera pan back. And you can see the top of it. You can look at the top of this thing and see that they just placed it here just solely for this stunt. That is the only reason that that wall exists is just so that she can come in, grab her by the throat, and then just throw her through it. That's <laughs> That was it. That's the only reason that that was there. And it was so ridiculous. So ridiculous. And it's like the poster that was on this clearly fake placed prop wall was the target area for us. Like, make sure you throw it through that. So, after Foxy Fierce is disposed of, then uh, Steffi slays. And for some reason... Crystal Waters coming there by the throat. Where was Jennifer Flores? I mean, what the, I, I don't know. So we got we got those two. Slays and and uh and Crystal Waters, the two jobbers. Notice everybody in here that they got beat up or thrown around or people who lose on a regular basis. So they get chucked aside. Angelica Dante looks like she's worried for some reason. I don't understand why. And in comes Holiday, and we have a standoff between Chainsaw and Holiday for some reason or another. Is I, I don't know if Holiday is supposed to be uh, turning babyface or not, but you know that's that it was what it was. It, it, I guess it's setting up whatever is supposed to be the next feud, but. Uh, Again, it, it was it was it made sense. Didn't necessarily care for the execution. Now, if I was going to say this is how it should have been done, this is what should have happened. You set up the same way. David McLean says, "Hey, we got footage from last week when this went on and yada yada yada." Cut to Angelica Dante commandeering a cameraman rather than one just conveniently being in the back to catch this. You come here, follow me. You put the camera angle behind Chainsaw. And I refuse to believe that they couldn't do this. It's LA, they got enough prop people out here. I'm in a, across the country and I know I can find these props without blinking. You put the camera behind her so the angle is her back. Follow Chainsaw to the door with the camera. She reaches over. Once she goes through, this is when she needs to reach over to either her left or her right. In this case, it would probably be her right. And grab one of those 
mirrored <coughs> makeup tables and slam it down. The reason you do it that way is because it needs to be a prop makeup table, not a one that they're using and not one that's going to you know, throw glass all over the place. You can already have crushed glass on the ground, crushed sugar glass, you know, the prop glass. But you have her do that to where you see the action, but you don't see necessarily what she grabs until you're done. And so you can walk in behind that and the camera can shoot down real quick, see the destruction back up. And now we see Chainsaw flip the table, not just act like a child and swipe off some vases and apples and bottles of water. And I like that. That's not anything. I mean, yeah, it shows that you're angry. But you're a monster. Be a monster. Flip that thing. Now you could go into the normal stuff. And I wouldn't have him put somebody through a wall that is obviously fake. Grab her, put her up against the real wall, and hold her there. The other two come in. Hey, what are you doing? Put her down. She turns around, drops her. Now I can focus on you two. And don't just grab and shove aside. Grab and do something with them. If the table's going to be swiped aside, then you need to slam somebody on that table. Ain't got to break, but slam somebody on that table. Choke slam them. But do something that if you're trying to make Wrecking Ball come off like this unstoppable, uncontrollable monster, do those things that make her look uncontrollable rather than someone who's having a out-of-proportion temper tantrum. So, and then you finish it off the same way. You have whoever it is, in this case, Holiday, coming in face-to-face, and without any words, without any communication, she can, you know, stare her down. And then you have Dante do the same thing, probably a little bit more pronounced, but she can grab her sister like, okay, dog, we need to leave. We need to leave now. Now, I don't understand why the holiday thing makes sense because before they were, they seemed to be perfectly fine. They was tag team partners, so why all of a sudden is there an issue? Or why all of a sudden would Holiday care for that matter? Why would they, she even be in the babyface dressing room? All of these questions and more. You know, that, anyway. So we go to the next segment with a new star who gets a vignette. Rebel Haze, and you know how those vignettes work with WoW. It is a sure sign that that person is going to walk right out there and lose. And that is exactly what she did. Nothing special there. (laughs) She has some nonsensical promo about not conforming and being my own individual. I just want to do what I want to do, and I want to play music and, and rah. And through all of that, said nothing. And then came out there looking as generic and as just like every other would-be rocker that's ever been on WoW. So, yes, she is an individual. Woohoo! Like, what's, what, what's the individual about this? She's, I got to have the grunge look. I got to have the, the, the grunge shorts. And, and I got to have the same WoW tattoo that every other person that has a tattoo or, or face paint WoW has. She is clearly going to be slotted into the heavy metal sisters at some point in time. Uh, that is my guess. Just based on her look and based on the gimmick that they gave her, she's a heavy metal sister in the making. And whatever and what helps sell that is the fact that Rebel was there at ringside. I mean, not Rebel. 
not Rebel, rewind that, Fury. Fury was there at ringside doing commentary for a match that she has nothing to do with. So, I mean, make of that what you will. She had no storyline purpose or, or reason whatsoever to be at ringside doing commentary for this match, for this person, other than I just feel like it. So, this match really illustrates the babyface stupidity of Fury as she's out on the commentary. And I like Fury, I do. But the idea that she would get on commentary in character, I mean, you know, this is all kayfabe. And this is in the universal vibe. But the idea that this person would get on there and be like, I can't believe that Holiday would turn her back. I'm like, Look, seriously? Y'all had a feud for the better portion of a year. And, I'll, and you picked her and Siren as your partner out of the clear blue without any rhyme, reason, or explanation and are shocked that she, they turned their back on you and left. That's just stupidity. That's, that's just her dumb fault. Like, who does that? So, so she's there, and they're, they're trying to, you know, pass this off like it was sympathetic. I can't, yeah, she, she left me to, to die to Americana and Spring Break 24-7. When, when I had her as my partner, I was like, oh, okay. Again, it illustrated the babyface stupidity of Fury. Uh, this match was unimportant. Holiday had won. She's, she won with a double-arm face buster. And why I say it's unimportant, because it's the same thing they do every time they introduce somebody. Give them this big, long vignette that means nothing to try to set them up to be a star, but then they go right, right out there and lose. So her path in this company is already set. And why do they bother with those intro videos? I would think at this point they would have learned a lesson by that, but or somebody would have said something, but why do they bother? I have repeatedly said I am not opposed to people who have a debut having to win all the time. You don't. But it is so absurd to set someone up to have a grand entrance and be a star, allegedly, within the show with these vignettes that have been put together and shot and edited and everything else, and then have them lose. Can you imagine, for the people who can actually think back this far, can you imagine if the vignettes that led it for Hunter Hearst Helmsley to join the WWF led to him going right out there and losing his first match? Or raise Ramon after they do a bunch of vignettes and I'm coming to the WWF and the first thing he does is take a loss. Or anybody. Just think of any vignette that people remember over the last couple of years that they did. Can, can you imagine how stupid that would look to have them come out there to a vignette that set them up to be some sort of big deal, and then the first thing that they do as an official act to the company that they just joined that gave them all this praise and hype and everything else is lose. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And Rebel Hayes is as big a cartoon character as anybody else that's on that show. Coming out there doing all the... the Oh, I'm sorry. I know she says she's an individual and everything, but coming out there doing it, what everybody would expect somebody who's into rock to do. 
I gotta do this. Gotta do the fingers. Gotta have my tongue out. Gotta go out here and, and, and air guitar and everything else and every other cliche thing that would go against the whole template of what she said. I want to be me. I want to just you know do my own thing. Yeah, you know, whatever. So fast forward through this double arm face buster holiday at wins one two three. There's there's really nothing else to that. Fine match. It just didn't need the intro of Rebel Hayes being like, ah, man, I'm coming to WoW, and I love rock and roll, and all that other crap. <sighs> the next segment is David McClane going to collect the title belt from Lana Star. Again, credit where it's due. They didn't make this sound like he just walked off from the commentating booth and then went and go got it and came back. Which they have, you know, done on occasion. They they've made it appear that way or sound that way. Dave McLean sets it up and says, I went and did this earlier today. Good. Good on him. I still don't think he needs to be in commentary, but at least good on him. So they go to the the uh the footage and he goes to collect the belt that Lana Star stole following the match, but immediately is about to hand back over. So she's giving some loose-knit answer of, well, you know, Penelope Pink didn't lose. You know she wasn't pinned in the match. And, you know, Dave McClain gives the response, and the appropriate one. You knew going into a triple threat, the champion doesn't have to be pinned in order to lose the title. You don't have any control over it anymore. You know, she, Penelope Pink is not officially the champion. Princess Ozzy is. I need the belt. And so he gets it. Lana Star helps make this, even though it's kind of a, you know, a, if you're going to look, I don't want to say deeply into it, but if you're going to uh, think about this, it doesn't make total sense all the time because, like, why did she run off with this if we're not going to do anything with it? Usually when we had the wrestler that, leaves and runs off and all that stuff like that is like or, or takes a championship belt I should say usually when we see stuff like that there's some angle that's following behind us one of which and the easiest of which is that this is the real champion I'm not giving it back Rick Rude went for months claiming that he was the United States champion and he would not give that belt back even though Dustin Rose was the champion you can go back to 92 and check that out. I think that was 92. <laughs> but, but the whole point is, is that they built an angle off of it. And the, the brilliant thing was that he they gave him a Halliburton briefcase that only he had the combination for. So he's like, no, you can't take the, the, the case. That belongs to me. And it, it, I'm not telling you whether the belt's in there or not, but, which it was. But he took it and he claimed it, even though he was not the champion. I thought that this that where this was going, apparently not. And as and that's fine that they're not doing that particular story. There's there's a thousand stories out there for them to do. So Lana Star begrudgingly hands back the title, even to the point that when she hands it to him and he gets it in his hand, they put the camera right on it, just to have their little comedy moment where it's like a little tug of war. I mean, you know, and that's all that was there for. And Lana Star has some great facial expressions about the, you know, 
loss of that title. And, and credit where credit is due, even though I didn't necessarily care for the, you know, the ha-ha that was in it, it was fine. And Lana probably made more of that than anything. Next segment, Team Stewart backstage against the Brat Pack. We've now officially can call them the Brat Pack. I talked about the name, the history, and all that stuff um, about two podcasts ago, so you can check that out if you wish. Uh, But they are backstage, and wouldn't you know it, they just happen to come. Well, let me say Team Spirit is walking backstage. And wouldn't you know who they come across but the Brat Pack. Now, I just said that WOW, like every corner you step in in this place, there's posters of WOW and WOW and WOW. It's like, I understand that you you like the wrestlers and everything, but I don't think every location here has to have that. Like, even the Lana Star segment had her own poster in her room, and in the hallway, they had the Miami Sweet Heat. Then we come into this scene, and now we see the soon-to-be-known Gloria Glitter. I think that's, uh, I I forget the, uh, the young lady's name, but she had an 80s exercise gimmick, and that's probably her. Uh, Fury, you see her poster. Like, like every, every place you go, it's just wild posters all over the place. So... Coach Campanelli and and Ariel Sky come into the backstage, and then, like I said, or like I was going to say, lo and behold, who walks up but the Brat Pack, right? So they start giving them crap about not knowing where Randy Rara is and all that stuff, and that's a whole different issue. This is an angle that was born of the... 70s and 80s. Now, I don't know if it's ever taken this much time. Even then, I don't I don't believe it ever stretched out that long to where somebody was missing for a month or so. Not being there for the taping or the event or getting there late because of a problem, that's one thing. Here, the implication is that they have no idea where Randy Rara is. Story's fine. But in today's environment, it's just like it's, you probably need to add something to give it a level of plausibility. Now, I do understand also that this is one of those situations where there are people that are watching this who are not looking for that kind of depth in their wrestling, as uh, the gentleman said on uh, one of my podcasts. It was one of his comments, and he was absolutely spot on, spot on with that. This is an angle for people who aren't looking for any sort of depth in their wrestling. Because if they did, this probably wouldn't be happening. Because the idea that they could legitimately lose somebody that they work with, haven't seen for three weeks. Remember, this is a three-week angle. They're going on for a month now of not seeing her and not knowing where she is. And at no point is there a level of concern? It's not like they came in here like, David, have you heard from her? Or did nothing like that. They just walk in like, it's just Tuesday. I'm sorry, I used the phone at the end of the match. Oh, yeah, okay, well, don't do it again. It's like, what? 
Where's the concern for this missing person that you have that was allegedly a friend, but definitely part of your group? Where was that? Where, I mean, this is a show that has utilized cops for people not laying down. But we won't utilize cops for a missing person or vehicle theft. This only makes people look stupid. It's enough that Ariel Sky is playing the, the dimwit to begin with. But it just makes Coach look like she didn't give a crap. She show up when she show up. Like what? What is happening here with this? I mean, they they could have done something, but and they shouldn't come back with. And I I I hope I'm wrong. I really do. But I get the feeling they're gonna come back with some kidnap angle, like they just captured her and held her in the basement or something for the last month, and nobody did anything about it. I I sincerely hope that I am wrong. Or they did something stupid like, oh, we put it in a crate and flew it to Australia. I mean, they would do something dumb like that. I, and I pray that I am wrong with this. I hope I'm so wrong. But when I watch WoW sometimes, man, it, it does make me feel like, yeah, that sounds like something they do. So Team Spirit, and the Brat Pack basically just create their own match. They have words. You say this, I say that. All right, well, let's just meet in the ring then. And there we go. So that that was the catalyst behind them having the match. They just decided to do it. So we go into the next segment and the next match. That is the Brat Pack facing Team Spirit. This angle is implying that she's been gone for three weeks. Keep that in mind. It's absurd. I mean, no one did a quality check. (laughs) Didn't send anybody to buy a house. Didn't call. Didn't tell management, hey, David, you might want to check out and see where she has been. We don't know where she's at. Those are angles that would, or those are responses that would make sense. But, you know, we're not here to make sense. Now, are we? This stretches all kinds of credibility. The Brad Pat looks good. (sighs) BK Rhythm. Gigi Gianna, they they look good. Uh, I'm ready for BK Rhythm to drop the rap gimmick, though, because it's not going anywhere. When Cena and Caster and all them did it, it, it it was leading towards something or building towards something. I mean, I can even go back as far as saying PG-13. When they did it, it led to something. You know, not necessarily off of an angle, but it, it built them up in Memphis to be the top heel tag team and then eventually top babyface tag team. And then that led to them getting a a run, in a a short, forgettable run, but a run in the WWE as part of the nation domination because they were the hype men for Farouk. Hence the rap. Here is just lines because this is what I'm supposed to do, and then we just move on. Doesn't mean anything. 
So whereas it could be entertaining, is it's not witty enough or scathing enough for people to care, and that audience doesn't. They they aren't sharp enough. I'm I'm sorry to insult the audience. I but if the audience is what they were when she did what was allegedly this scathing rhyme on the mother truckers needing Sofia Lopez to get them out of jail, nobody reacted to that other than the mother truckers. It's not doing anything. It's not working. It's just a gimmick, and it's not a good gimmick at this point. It's not going anywhere. I, at this point, you should at least lie and say that she, you know, or have her lie. I'm not going to say wow, but have her lie and, and claim that she's got some rap album coming out or something. You know, to steal from J- the Double J Jeff Jarrett thing. You know, come out with a fake plaque. It's like, you can see this, my my rap album's at the top of the chart. Something, anything to justify her doing it. It's just not justified. It's just doing this just for the sake of doing it. And I'm sorry because I do like BK Rilla. Or more importantly, I like Killer Kate. But this is getting old. It is getting old. So, the team of Team Spirit, Campanelli and Ariel Skies, which is, I guess this is the, um, Campanelli being the centerpiece of this team, since she just traded from one partner to the next. Gigi Gianni looks good. I like her new outfit. She's, she is playing up less of the I'm mega Italian like she was with uh, Amber, uh, Adrena Gambino. And now she's pretty much joined up with BK Rhythm, Robbie Rocket, and you know now they're the Brat Pack. Although, like I said, I still don't necessarily understand why they call themselves the Brat Pack. Everybody there is roughly the same age, but, you know, hey. Sounds good, I guess. The commentary talk about a long-awaited rematch, and that rematch being the main event. I don't know how long-awaited it is, but, you know, he's doing what he's told to do. This match mostly has the heat on Ariel Sky, where the heels have taken control and they keep her down to make sure that she doesn't go anywhere. There are points in here where I don't know if I would say inexperienced, but there looks like there's some lack of communication between Sky and and Gianni at points. It looks sometimes like Sky is confused about where it's supposed to go. Now that just might be her normal the normal way that she, you know, projects her emotion. I'd have to see her more to to really get a feel for that. But that that person that was like, does she know what she's supposed to be doing next? So she, like I said, the, the heat is on her. They keep her in the ring. There is a move that she does in there that I thought was pretty smooth, her being Ariel Sky, where she does a uh, backflip into a neckbreaker, of evading a clothesline with a backflip. And catching her opponent with a neckbreaker in doing so, I was like, "Okay, that's pretty sweet." I, I I have to, I gotta give the credit where it's due. That that was that was a pretty sweet move. It was very nice. Much like I said at the beginning of the show, that the first match was a um, 
a showcase for Last Call. This is a showcase for the Brat Pack. It was a more competitive showcase, but it was a showcase for the Brat Pack. Uh, once Sky did the the move that she did, that set both of them up for the I got to get to the tag thing. You know what I mean? It was uh, her net break was almost cutter like it was just in reverse. But yeah, it it put rhythm down, and then Sky had to crawl and try to get the get the tag. It was fine. And of course, coach being coach, she has to come in for the cleanup. She is the uh, respected lead of this team, and that's you know, that's fine. She comes in for the cleanup, and at some point, we get Sky back into the ring. I'm just gonna push to the end. Gigi Gianni. Her finish is the running power slam. Well, not necessarily run, but just a power slam. Over the shoulder style, much like Davy Boy Smith did, even though Stephen Dickey verbally said shades of Dr. Death. Well, yeah, not, not really. I get where he's going with that because Doc liked to use a power slam, but his power slam was positioned a little differently. Oh, uh, but, the, the, but the power slam that... um. Gianni did. I, I, I think she executes very well. Now, one of the things that took place here that, that set that up was Rhythm got chucked out over the top rope. She charged in to go attack her opponent. This is after, you know, Ariel Sky gets tagged back in by Gianni. Rhythm came in for the save. She tried to get coach. Coach ducks out of the way, pulls the top rope. Rhythm goes over the top, but Nicely enough, BK Rhythm gets back up and grabs Coach's legs before Coach can do anything. So she pulls her outside the ring. Ariel Sky's paying attention to her partner, looking looking bewildered, like I just said. Gigi takes advantage of it, kicks her in the guts, hoists her over her shoulder, walks her around, power slam, one, two, three. I I like her power slam. I like I said, I like her execution. Is it's I can't say it's a simple move, but it. It gives her something. I, I, I couldn't even tell you what that something is, but it gives her something because it, it was a nice walk, nice nice impact. Hopefully, Gianni and will have had the partner that she needs now to do something. This is partner number, what, three? Is it partner number three? She's had a partnership with Adriana Gambino. She's had a partnership with... Um, Rodriguez, Amber Rodriguez. And yeah, this is this is like her third partnership in tag wrestling. So I hope that it actually does something and means something and gets her somewhere. I don't think it will if I was a betting man, but you know, it'd be it'd be nice to see them actually do it. So we go on to the next thing, which is a recap of the Tonga Twins versus Miami Sweet Heat. They carry on about this is a feud and, you know, the rivalry for the ages and all that good stuff. It talks about trying to regain the tag team titles. And this, in my view, should have had more um, interaction between the two. And I mean that over the course of the months that they've been uh, feuding with each other. If you wanted to make it, 
a feud. They should have actually cut promos on each other. I don't think they've ever cut a promo on the other team. Like it's it's like Wild doesn't want to be mean. Like no one says anything bad about anybody else. It, I get this from like Wild does not want to be mean about anybody there, or doesn't want to make it personal. I mean, and, and we're talking about personal in their own universe. It's like they don't want to do it. Everybody that says something is is if they say anything towards the other person is is usually very light. If they say anything about an angle, is usually about the end result or how good I am. It's never a case of I'm gonna get even with you. I'm gonna take you know to get the title and I'm gonna you know flush you down the toilet right out of this company or you know nothing nothing like that and the one person that tried did a poor job of it uh, that i can call it americana just did a horrible job of cutting a promo she's just not good at it so they do another um introduction for next week whilst introducing glory or glitter Oh, my gosh. Gloria Glitter. If they couldn't come up with any more on-the-nose names and, like, my, why? Why does everybody have to be such a cartoon character here? And that's what she is, and that's what she's going to be, and I expect her to lose on her first day unless they don't show a video that's that's the only thing that i'm gonna say that would change that if she doesn't have a video that leads her into it then maybe she will uh get a win delala doom that's who that is that's who that is delala doom and maybe she'll get a difference because the other two as far as i know weren't wrestlers Katrina Jinx and Rebel Hayes. I don't. I don't think either one of them had any sort of uh, wrestling background that I'm aware of. But uh, it would be it would be nice. I ain't fond of the name. I'm not fond of the Gloria Glitter name. But it would be nice if she was able to come in there as the one who actually has a wrestling background and win. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not confident it's going to happen, but it'd be nice if it did. So there's the introduction to the to the uh, the new face that's going to be in WoW. And then we go to the main event. The Tonga Twins in Miami Sweet Heat. And again, Lana Starr joins the commentating team for the match. Why is she doing this? She went from being the smartest manager in a while to now being one of the dumbest. This is absurd. If I knew that my team lost because I wasn't there, and remember the story that they told on commentaries that Lana Starr felt like uh, Miami Sweet Heat didn't need her. Or Vicky Lynn. So they both decided just to stay home and wherever they were and watch on TV and drink champagne and this, that, and the other. Well, they lost. So they need the help. 
So why wouldn't she be out there trying to help? And she goes right onto commentary instead of staying at ringside. What is? I'm fine and happy that they are letting some people talk and get on the microphone. It's like, but there is a thing. It's like, okay, right time, right place, and this is wrong time, wrong place. Everybody doesn't need to go sitting into the commentating booth. You got a two-person booth finally. Just leave it at that. You don't have to have a guest star every time they come in there. So, Lana Star joins the commentating team. Doesn't make any sense to me because I would think that she would want to be ringside to try to help her team actually get the championships back. But that applies too much logic to the situation. This is not a rivalry for the ages like they're trying to make it out to be. It's not. They do good matches. But it will become a rivalry when it's when the words are expressed to each other at the very least. We don't even get that far with them. They could make this into something, but they won't. And, um, and I would implore their wrestlers, the wild girls, to stop jawjacking with some of them fans because they are not threatened or intimidated. And all they do is just start jacking off with them. It doesn't help. It doesn't make them look more intimidating. Just, if you're going to yell at the fans, yell at them from the apron where they can keep the camera on you and you don't have to see those fans laughing at you while you're doing it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look at Miami Sweet Heat when they come to ringside and they start talking to somebody. It's like this guy, they're just like, ah, ha, 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 ha. just laughing at it. One of them seemed like he dancing with them. You know, he's like, come on, yeah. You know, like he's telling him to come back to his room or something. It's like, just stop. Just stop. Just stop trying to intimidate these people. They're not. They're not intimidated. And the kids aren't intimidated either. And this is a product for kids. So let's, let's call it for what it is. This show is for kids. They are not going to be the rivals that the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express were. They're not going to be the rivals that the Hardys and Edge and Christian were. You know, they're not going to be any of these things. It's just not going to happen. It's serviceable, and I don't want to discount, you know, the effort or how good, for that matter, either team is. But they need to stop building this up to be something that is not until it achieves that. It's got to get there first, and then they can go into that. <clears throat> so Miami Sweet Heat come out the ringside. Lana Star comes with them, but she immediately walks off to, you know, do do the commentating deal. This would have made more sense to me if it was a case of Dave McClain saying, you cannot be there at ringside. This has got to be settled between the two of them. That I would have understood. And, and that is a simple fix. It is such a simple fix. Doesn't take any effort for him to have have the ring announcer make the decree because he doesn't have to do it. I'm sure he would, but he doesn't have to do it. Just have the ring announcer say, and it's been authorized by David McClain that Lana Starr is banned from ringside. Done. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have taken you five seconds. And it's explained. Without it looking ridiculous or making Lana Star look like she's just 
absurd in her managerial thinking. So we got the twins. They're coming out there, you know, and I don't know if the Island Dynasty is a thing or not because Tiki Chamara almost never comes out with them. They come out and help Tiki, but Tiki don't come out with them for moral support or nothing. So we've got another twin versus twin thing. And, you know, I, I want to sidebar because Dave McClain did say one thing that I will give credit to, kind of. He said that Wild has the best tag team division in wrestling. Now, I disagree with that. They do not have the best tag team division in wrestling. They can just, no, they, you don't. Like, let, let's, not, uh, let's not overdo it here. But what I will say and what I will back him up on, and I stand firmly with them on this, they have the best tag team division in women's wrestling. That much is true. There's not a wrestling promotion, you know, at least currently, that has a women's tag team division that can match up to it. And there's a lot of them, a lot of women's promotions and divisions that I like and, you know, I love. Impact has a better lineage to their tag team, women's tag team titles, but they don't necessarily have a better division right now. They've had better matches and, you know, higher quality. And I say that with all due respect to the both sets of twins and everybody else that's in that company. But I'm sure, you know, if they look at your heart, no, that they haven't had the matches that they've had an impact. They certainly have not had the matches that the NWA Women's Tag Team Champions have had. But also, the NWA Women's Division does not lean itself or lend itself to having the same quality or depth of tag teams. Uh, the WWE, phew, this is the one time, the one time that I'm going to say, wow, outdid the WWE. They outdo them in that. Their women's division is crap. <laughs> so their women's tag team division is crap. Now, now I shouldn't say their division because they got a lot of talented people, but they don't do a lot with them. A lot of people just spinning their wheels and they're there, but they're not doing all that much. Their tag team division is, is loose knit and held by, together by strings and glue at best. Wow outdoes that by far. Impact, not impact. Uh, AEW doesn't even have a women's tag team division, so that's a moot point. So when he says that on the microphone, or when he said it on the microphone, I was like, you know what? I, I actually agree. If you change that to the best tag team division in women's wrestling, I agree. Miami Sweet Heat. Tonga Twins, Exile, Flores and Slays, The Dark Side, Holiday and Siren. Um, there isn't a, a Monsters thing anymore. I can't even say that. Uh, I'm hesitant to even say Spring Break 24-7, but Spring Break 24-7, Las Banditas. I mean, they, they've got Last call. Was that like eight teams that I just named off right there? They've got depth in their tag team division, the Brat Pack team spirit. That's 10. They have depth and they've got talent. It's just, you know, 
a lot of times they don't do anything that helps drive people to want to watch it or watch that division, but they, they have all of that. So let's get to the match. This is probably the fourth confrontation that they've had, if you include the eight person. So at the beginning of the match, you, you got the twins come out and they announced they got the belts held up for the world to see because we're, we're the new tag team champions, the, the big silver belts, which I guess seems to be the, the current state of things with wrestling because tag team championships, even though they say we got the gold, even WWE, they only have silver belts. So they're held up. The match begins. Lonstar goes to commentary. And, I mean, the match is fine. I I do think that they are developing a better chemistry with each other. Uh, I, I know I've said before I like the out the outfits that Miami Sweet Heat began, or at least the updated ones. And uh, I think it helps with the presentation. When you have a good look, it helps with the presentation that you deliver on camera. And they have a good look. The Tonga Twins basically start this off, you know, shoving them around and picking them up and body slams and, and what have you. There are points in here where it looks like some of the timing is off. Specifically, there's a, a, a place in here where I believe it's Laurie who f- gets up in a body slam and she floats over to the back. Gives an elbow or a forearm shot to the back of, I'm going to say Kona. And then she's like standing there waiting to get chopped. <laughs> not, the standing there was only for maybe two seconds, but you know she's standing there waiting to get chopped. It just doesn't look good on camera when it's caught that way. But they still did a good job. I mean, like when the Tonga Twins came in to give a double super kick and she backed it off. And like, oh, you know, like little things like that account for a lot when you're doing a match. But they also have never had a match that would lend itself to epic. Every match that Wilds had has been, you know, roughly about five minutes to five to eight minutes, I would say. Now, and that's not a bad thing, but I have almost begged for them to think about this. Like, you know, if you're trying to get some more weight onto the match, you probably need to have a moment where they can have a match that goes beyond 10 minutes and make it look like it's a struggle. Make it, I don't think anybody there is capable of doing it. And I don't know which one of these twins got up on the top rope to go given the 10 pound. She almost she may need to get trained doing that. Either those ropes are loose or she just does not have good balance. But it's like two or three times she life's about to fall backwards and fall on her head. You know, sitting up there on the top rows trying to do the old one, two, three, you know. It just it just didn't come off well to be up there like, whoa, you know. And it's not like she did it long, but it was very evident that she if she didn't grab that rope, she was probably gonna fall on her head. Um, so the match continues on and it was fine. And, and like I said, they, they've done this enough with each other that I believe that 
there's a certain amount of chemistry that they have developed. Maybe not so much that they can just blindly know what the other person is going to do just off of their physical stance and their, you know, and their positioning and whatnot. You know, the way that people that are, oh, yeah, man, me and Ricky Steamboat, we were together and we, we could just kind of communicate through telepathy after a while. I was like, I don't think they're getting to that point because they don't wrestle enough for that. But it did still help with uh, Miami Sweet Heat in their um, uh, with their chemistry with each other. One of the things that I saw them do here that I thought was like really smooth, and I, I'll give another uh, time frame code. I'm gonna pull this up. Okay, at about four minutes. And 44 seconds. Okay? Four minutes, 44 seconds. We've got the Tonga twins standing there just, you know, looking at the hard cam like, hey, look at me. So, the tw- I was going to say the twins, but they're both twins. Sweet Heat grabs one of the Tongas. It shoots her off. There's a reversal with Lindsay. Lori comes in with a clothesline, nails her immediately, which allows the other one to come and do a tumble roll across her chest. Very smooth. Very smooth. And it's things like that that I was like, I want them to keep going. And I, I'm not looking for them to lose their job, and I'm not looking for them to go to another place any sooner than what they need to or want to go. But I... I'm just going to say now, the Carlsons, the Gohart twins, when they're, as they're known outside of WOW, if they want to grow or get better, they probably need to leave. They probably need to leave that place and get, to, get in there with some other quality teams just across the board. Again, I'm not saying quit, but they need to do something because I think they're, they, there's a lot of potential there. And I don't know if WOW is going to be the best place for them to exploit that potential. They've already been to the top that WOW has to offer. They've been the tag team champions. The only thing that they got left to do is get it back. But again, you know, if they get it back, well, then, then what? It's another stretch, another road until somebody else comes along. I mean, that's that's the cycle. But they can't do what teams like the New Day and the Usos did, just stay in a company nonstop, just winning title after title over and over and over again. They can't do it. WOW is not the environment for that. People will get bored in that place. There's not enough time. WWE doesn't really give a lot of time to their tag teams, but – they give enough to where people can at least be like, oh, yeah, man, the New Day or the Usos or this, that, you know, the, the tag teams can deliver the goods. Here, the idea of winning it three, four, five, six times, it, it would be a bit much for them. It would be a bit much, I think. Two, with some space in between it. Three, maybe with some space in between it. Yes. I can see that. But getting up to like, you know, what they do on the other, you know, other places, seven and eight and nine and ten, you know, they at least had different championships to work in between within the same company. 
There was a you know there was the WWE Championship before they dissolved it and just split it off. Then there's the SmackDown, then there's the Raw, and then there was the NXT. They had four different championships to work between between those two teams. They only got the one, and that's why I was like them doing this any more than maybe three times without leaving and coming back and doing it again, I think would be burning out. Now, they can get it more than three. I just think they would need a little space to give them some you know, time for people to miss them and want to see them back. There's a portion of this match where Laurie puts one of the twins, the Kona twins, into the corner, and she stands there making this like crazy face for some reason. It's, it's like she was waiting for something to happen that didn't happen. And this is where I'm like, they need to go somewhere because that came off to me like a full-fledged botch. It's like somebody forgot to do something and she had to adjust for it. And it just and it just made her look silly. <laughs> that, that's all. It just made her look silly that she made this crazy face for no reason. Like, whoa, you know, like, what are you doing? So, yeah, it, it's, it's those moments where it's, you can see that something isn't the way it should be, that something was amiss, somebody forgot to do something, and they just you know, tried to adjust the best way they could. One of the things I know that, the, that uh, Miami Sweet Heat has begun to do, they've begun to cheat better and manipulate the referee more. Good on them. When uh, Lindsay, uh, I believe it's Lindsay, Lindsay goes to the outside and grabs the wrist of one of the Konas to keep her from going, getting up and going away while Laurie is talking to, you know, goading her sister on the other side and the referee's in between them. Meanwhile, Lindsay's giving, like, short-arm clotheslines to her opponent on the, on the, in the corner and all that stuff. I'm like, this is great. This is great. It's, it's an enjoyable match. I mean, you know, little flub-ups aside, it was an enjoyable match. I just really feel that they have something to give to the wrestling community at large rather than just wow. And there was portions where it just looked like they're just waiting for, you know, we got to get our setup in. We got to wait for the right thing to happen. We got she's she's supposed to be doing this. And it just didn't take place. So anyway, we're going to get to the, the end. It's not going to do a, a full call on the entirety of the match. Because much like the championship match, the the match itself is fine. The finish is kind of, yeah. They need some better finishes. Here is where the finish went wrong for me. All right, so you got one of the corners. She comes off the second rope. Lindsay, I believe, or at least I'm going to call her that, is on the ground. Lindsay uh, opens up, basically, and allows Kona to, to crash on her and applies a body scissors and attempts a <clears throat> front face lock. Even though she starts out the front face lock wrong, she, she gets the front face lock. And she applies it and gets it in pretty tight. Right? So now we're looking at Kona trying to struggle to get herself back to her feet while Lindsay's holding on to her. It probably didn't help that she locked out her arm while she's trying to get back up. She, 
she she locked out uh, Carter's left arm, so it made it pretty difficult for her to get back up on her feet. She couldn't do that little short strength. When she does get back on her feet, she shoves Lindsay into the referee, and he takes he gets squashed to the corner, and then he's out for the count. Now this is where it's silly, because I cannot in my wildest I know it's wrestling, but I I cannot even pretend like that knocked this dude out. I I just I can't. I cannot pretend that that squash, it didn't even look like it was a hard impact. It was just like a soft squish in the corner. So I can't even begin to act like that was the thing that put this guy, not just knocked him out, knocked him out for a significant amount of time. So seeing this, Lana Starr gets up from the commentating booth because she's like, oh, man, you know, they're in trouble. She comes out the ringside. The Tonga twins hit their finish while the referee's out. Keep in mind, he's still down. Las Banditas comes charging out, and they come and attack the Tonga twins. Sophia comes out with them, but she attacks uh, Lana Starr. Don't know why it it, is split like that, but they are. She's attacking Lana Starr. Her her girl's attacking uh, uh, the Tonga twins. The mother truckers come out with steel chairs. I am pretty sure at this point that there's probably a ruling that steel chairs cannot be used on WoW in terms of hitting someone with it. And all they can do is, like, you can threaten somebody with it and it can be there, but you cannot hit somebody with a steel chair. I'm almost positive. I'm convinced of that now. If you find any clip of any wild wrestler getting hit with a, with a steel chair in, in a match, you know, let me know. Because the breaking, and I use air quotes around that, of Jesse Jones's knee with a steel chair doesn't count. That thing was clearly past her knee. But, yeah, if you see anyone that somebody got clobbered with a steel chair to get a win or cheat or in some sort of – no holes barred match that took place in a while. You let me know, cause I ain't seen it. At least not in these last two years. I can't even remember it beyond that. But so anyway, they charge out with the steel chairs. Holly Swag is in there with her chair and all amped up, and Big Rig Betty comes in behind her. Holly Swag looking like she's about to knock her teeth out with the steel chair because she takes a swing. At the ropes. Now, those ropes have bounce to it. That is that is not an exaggeration. They have bounce. She hits it, and it flings right back towards her chin. The fact that she didn't hit herself in the face with that and knock some teeth out is, is almost amazing. So that was it, and the match ends in a no contest. There is no winner. My highlighted quote or a question that I wrote for myself is why did Lopez attack Lana Star while her team attacked the babyface Tongas? Didn't seem like they was on the same page there. Are you helping them or not? Because if they're coming out to attack the Tongas, you're helping uh, Lana Star. If you're coming out to attack Lana Star, then why are you attacking the Tongans? They haven't done anything to them. Now, granted, they could be existing on an island by themselves. And they could go out and attack both. That is absolutely possible. Not the first time it's happened in wrestling. Will not be the last. 
The only thing that makes me stray away from that is that they just never set these things up. We've set up the rivalry between Sofia Lopez and Lana Starr, so maybe we'll get Las Banditas taking on Miami Sweet Heat at some point, which I'm almost positive that Sweet Heat is going to win. But I guess the next logical step here is going to be a four, an eight-person tag. Tag Team Champions, the Tonga Twins, mother-daughter combo of Big Rig Betty and Holly Swag taking on Las Banditas and Miami Sweet Heat. That would be what I would think would happen, but how would they get there considering that Sofia Lopez has made it perfectly clear that she is angry with Lana Starr and wants to get even. But that was the entire day of the show. That was that was it. And uh, we are now waiting to see these new faces that are popping up in the wild, like Gloria Glitter. Because that, you know, that makes me want to watch the show. And as far as I know, I think there's somebody else that's appearing in the wild. That another indie wrestler that has been announced. Or they say indie wrestler Lois Grain. I don't know who that is. I mean, I, I wish I could tell you that I did, but I don't. There's a lot of indie wrestlers out there, and some of them I'm familiar with, a lot of them ain't. And apparently, she is going to be the next person that uh, assumably supposed to be in WoW. This is an interesting name, Lois Green. You know, uh, I don't know what name they're going to give her in a while, but that, you know, now that I'm looking at it, that might be an improvement. Just, just thinking about like Lois Green, I, hmm. yeah, I mean it's interesting. That's that's all I can say. But it. it is an interesting name, and I don't know enough about her gimmick to see what they would apply to her to be like, okay, well she does this, that, and the other, so we have to give her this gimmick. I know she's wrestled some. It doesn't like I said. I've read about that when I you know got this report. I know she's wrestled some. I don't know how often or how much or, you know, and all that stuff. And I, honestly, if I'm going to be completely <clears throat> open, which I don't, th- I don't think I've ever seen her in a match. Uh, this is, what would I rate this? I mean, it, it, it's not a, it's not a horrible show. But is it average? Last call versus the first match, last call versus Gen Z Flores and the Slays. I thought that was fine. Squash, didn't care for the backstage stuff. Hayes and Holiday is fine. It just Hayes' debut was was kind of a nothing thing. Brad Packing Spirit match is fine. I mean, the, the matches are almost always fine. The matches are almost always that way. It's the stuff in between the matches that create the problems. And I stand on that. The matches in the, the stuff in between that makes it nonsensical is what creates the problems for me. So with that, we are going to uh, let this go and we will finish this off. Uh, I guess congratulations. They have um, Princess Ozzy with the, with the championship belt and all this stuff. And she, and you know, look, she, she's a good wrestler. She looks good with the championship. Congratulations. Wish they could have gotten there a little bit better, but you know that's they uh they should they should do something else with this. 
Um, the last thing I want to say about WoW is apparently they have gone up in the rate or the ratings a little bit. I'm if I'm a little bit surprised, honestly. I mean, it's 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 new highs for them, but whatever whatever uh, growth that they can apply to themselves, whatever growth that they can get. You know, if I had an applause button right now, I would I would hit the applause. Because they have gotten more people to watch, apparently. I mean, it's, it's still not a high amount. You know, I, I still have to, it's still not a high amount. But it's, it's high for them. While syndication telecast, according to Russellnomics, for September 2023 and October 2023, which we are, you know, we just walked into. Uh, that's the that's where the re- report came in. The rating that they're talking about was in August, and the rating w- hit a high of 0.10 or 0.10 between 18 and 49. Now, for them, that's good. What that equates to is about a little under half a million people. It's about 428 thousand people that watched the show according to Russellnomics uh, and, and, and according to the Nielsen ratings I mean you know that that's not an accurate thing because you know the Niel- everybody ain't got a Nielsen uh, box in their house I mean I worked for cable and satellite for five years in that time I probably went into uh, three people's homes that I can say had a Nielsen box in them. So there we have it. It is uh, is good on them that they they've raised their ratings. Their fans are starting to flock in, I guess. Now whether they went back down or not, I have to go back to Russellnomics and see whether they um, whether they have fluctuated in the ratings. But as of right now, I want to give them credit where it's due. And I want to say hey, congratulations. They they actually did get something up and good for them. Uh, if they can maintain it, fine. I will still stand by and maintain the idea of they probably need to get things better structured in terms of their storytelling before they start getting the wrestling fan that filters in that it does not care about Wild's feelings. Right now, everybody that 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 looks at Wow and talks about it online, podcasts, social media platforms, Reddit, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. Right now, everybody that talks about Wow that is on their platforms almost totally kisses Wow's butt. You're the greatest. I love it. This, that, and, that. and then, you know, look, that's fine. Your fans, they they could and they should do that. Just be aware that at some point, and I I keep saying this. I said this for months. At some point, those regular wrestling fans, if they choose to watch, will look at that and start poking holes in it. Just food for thought. And so with that. We will wrap this episode up. 
That was the show. I am going to give that one a... Well, it's an average show. So it deserves an average rating. This is C. Not bad, but not good either. Average. And with that, we will move on. Thank you for tuning in to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate it. If you have not, subscribe, like, share. It helps with everything that's going on, whether that be on the podcast platform of your choice or here on YouTube. And if you haven't found any of those other things that you don't know where to go for all the things that to stay up to date, then you can go to WPNWrestling.com. It has everything that is done with the WPN plus a 24-hour-a-day showing of all our stuff and a few video games and things like that. And it is a lot. It is a stream that is on all the time on that page or on that on our website. So you know, take a look at that. And if you like it, hey, tune in, watch a couple of matches, take a few notes, look at some of those people that you saw. And uh, well, that you see in the wild before they were in the wild. Yeah, you didn't know I had that, did you? Got a lot of them. Got Nina Monet before she became Siren. I got Har- Harlow O'Hara before she became Fury. I got Jesse Smothers or Jesse Bell, whichever name she considered before she became Jesse Jones. There's a bunch of them on there. So go in there and check it out. There's a lot of different matches, you know, uh, that I got a chance to call commentary for for a lot of these young ladies and interacting with them and all that good stuff. And if you're on YouTube, why just below this video, just underneath here, under the subscribe and like button that is, just underneath those things is the merchandise tab. If you want to get a t-shirt, if you really want to support, get a t-shirt. No politics, no religion, just wrestling. That is my favorite because I do not like going in anybody's place to talk about politics or religion because it starts arguments. But you can go in there and you can talk about some wrestling. Wrestling unites people. The other two tears everybody apart. No politics, no religion, just wrestling. Get the shirt. Thank you for tuning in. And this is Mr. Green saying that this is Mr. Green saying so long. And we will see you on the next go round. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>